Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. And today Jason is in part four of this series in the book of Acts in a sermon he's entitled, The Replacement Part Two. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter one, and today Jason is looking at verses 14 through 26. Here's Jason. We will continue now through the book of Acts. In a sermon that, that you'll notice I've titled, I've entitled The Replacement Part 2. Because I did not get through The Replacement Part 1 and everything last week. So we will continue on. Last week, we looked at the final preparation that Jesus is doing, that Jesus did in order to prepare for the coming of the Holy Spirit for the coming of Pentecost. That in essence, the church does not begin until we get to that blessed time when the Holy Spirit comes. So even this gathering, I I wouldn't say this gathering is considered the church yet. It's just a gathering of believers. And what we saw first was the place where this gathering was taking place. And that was Jerusalem. And then it actually narrowed in even more and it it let us know that it was the upper room. A place of, of... significance for the apostles, for they had met there before. And then we also saw the players, who was involved. And we saw that it was the 11 apostles, minus one, that we're going to see today exactly what happens with Judas. But it wasn't just the 11 apostles. We saw that, that there were others there as well. That it was Mary, the mother of Jesus. The women, we're not sure exactly how many there were. And then Jesus' brothers. But in my mind, the, the number of those that were meeting was, was relatively small. And we're going to see today that, that the number actually seems to grow. And finally, what we noticed last week was the purpose for their meeting. And I said that it was a twofold purpose, that they were meeting for fellowship and for prayer. And it, it actually says that they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. There was something that was who they were. It was part of their makeup. And I said that that needs to be part of the makeup of us here at RBC. To place our dependence upon the Lord. And then finally, what what I said we're going to do is we're going to look at the plan. So we saw the place, the players, the purpose. But we didn't see the plan. Today we're going to see the plan. We're going to see the plan unfold. And we're going to see the plan actually taken into effect as they choose a replacement for Judas. So hopefully you're there. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to finish up chapter 1 in the beginning of our narrative. Let me read for us God's wonderful word. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language that field was called Halkadama. Halkadama in 
That is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we stop and we thank You for Your holy, precious Word. And we pray now that You would speak to us through Your Word, that Your Word would be clearly taught, that Your Holy Spirit would convict us through Your Word, that Your Holy Spirit would teach us and would continue to transform us and transform our minds, renew our minds, that we might see You for who You are and understand how we are to live this life of faith, both as individual believers and as a church. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, as you will notice from your notes, in in your little bulletin insert, I've broken this up into basically four different parts, all having to do with this plan, the plan of choosing the replacement. And the first is the who, who presents the problem. Then we're going to see the what, what is the basis for, for the claims that, that Peter makes. And why does something need to be done, the why. And finally, the how how the replacement is is to be chosen and how he is chosen. So let's look first at the who. It should come as no surprise as we've already read it and, and, and most of us recognize that Peter is the first one to take leadership. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said... So, so what we see is the who... And, and the fill-in-the-blank is, is easy. It's Peter. One of, one of Jesus' trusted who becomes a pillar, who becomes the apostle to the Jews, who is talked about throughout the first 12 chapters and preaches almost all the sermons. And Peter stands up. At this time, the first three words there, that that marks a transition. At this time when they were what? When they were praying, when they were meeting as as one in one accord of one mind. That they were continually devoting themselves. It wasn't like this is the first thing that happened. Peter just didn't all of a sudden take the lead and forcefully run everything. They had spent time in prayer seeking the Lord together, recognizing that they were what? They were in a holding pattern. They were waiting. And as they gathered and as they prayed, the Lord was was giving them wisdom. And so Peter, at that time, at this time, he stands up. 
And I'm not sure what the significance of, of him standing up is. Is, is that only to show that, that he is then kind of taking the lead? Or, or was it the idea that they were actually all on their knees praying? And Peter's the only one that stands up. And in either case, it, it's clear that, that he stands. And look at what, what he says. And said, verse 16, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. This is the what. Not so much what he said, but what was the basis for why he said what he said. He, he's going to approach them all. He's going to say, hey, this is what we need to do. But I'm not telling you we need to do this because I think this is a good idea because I'm tired of there only being 11 apostles. There's supposed to be an even number of us. So let's go ahead and appoint someone else because I recognize this is hard work. I don't want to do this alone. And I'm paired up with Jews. He needs to come and, and help me out. No, he doesn't say anything like that, right? He bases everything on the scriptures. And look at his first words. Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Not the scripture might be fulfilled. Not the scripture I want it, or possibly. There's no uncertainty here. The scripture had to be fulfilled. Remember what what we looked at earlier in the beginning of, of opening up the book of Acts. And how I said, in order for us to truly understand... Not, not only the purpose, but the major theme of the book of Acts, we have to look at the book of Luke. And that the book of Luke and the book of Acts has this little small word in Greek that is D-E-I-Day. And I said that it occurs over and over again in the book of Luke and it occurs all over the place in the book of Acts. That word day, again, means what? It speaks of God's sovereignty. That it was necessary... It had to happen this way. That's why he uses this kind of verbiage. It had to be fulfilled. There was no other choice in the matter. And, and recognize that what we're talking about is something heinous and terrible that they probably were not very excited about, right? He was one of them. And this had to be fulfilled. It had to come out to this place. That, that's a mighty thing to say. It's one thing for me to say that that's what God had for you. It's a whole different for that to be written in Scripture, that this had to happen. And, and don't get me wrong, Peter is saying part of the plan. Sorry, this keeps kind of happening. That Judas betrayed Jesus. That was part of God's sovereign hand, but that doesn't mean that God forced Judas to do this. Right? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work both ways. Judas did this by his own will. It was Judas's volition, Judas's choice within God's purposes. You see, God isn't limited by the sin of someone to stop his plan. You see that all throughout the Old Testament. That's how great God is. And he can take something like a fire that we don't know when is going to end, and, and, and he can use it in our lives, and he can remind us over and over again, you know, I've... I'm bigger than this. This doesn't take me by surprise. I've got this. And we need to trust Him. So yes, let's keep praying for all of those that that are 
in that vicinity of the, of the fire, I recognize that's a very, very difficult thing. But our God is big, is he not? And maybe it's just me, but doesn't this seem kind of strange for Peter? I mean, not the standing up and leading part, <laughs> but the actually standing up and leading right and, and doing the right thing. Normally when we see Peter lead or do something or respond or even talk, generally it's not really the right thing, right? Oh, I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to deny you. And then what happens? He denies him. Look at Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23. I, I think this is a good glimpse into the life of, of Peter and what he's normally like. And what we see in, in the book of Acts is a different Peter. And actually we see a, a different apostles all the way around. Matthew 16, verses 21 to 23. And, and probably like one of the strangest encounters in, in, in Scripture. And this is Peter. And he says this to Jesus. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Very clear. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised up in three days. But look at Peter's response to him. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He rebukes the God of the universe who came in flesh saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Oh, really? But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. What was the problem? Redemption. (laughs) Peter wasn't getting it. Peter missed it, right? He, He missed that part of the puzzle. He understood that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to establish this kingdom and he probably would have been singing with us this morning, bring your kingdom, yes, yes. But but the idea of Jesus suffering and redeeming us through his shed blood on the cross, no, he missed that. And we don't see Peter saying, oh, yes, Jesus, you're oh, you're right. I remember reading that in the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 53. Let's go there right now. No, Peter doesn't do that. What changed? How can we see that happening? That's his first response here. Before he says anything, he he points them where? He points them to this. He points them to the Word. What changed? And I believe what changed was Jesus. Remember how we looked at the last chapter of the book of Luke and we saw how the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus how they were approached by Jesus, but we also saw how Jesus, what? How Jesus taught them. He didn't just show up instantly out of the blue and say, look at my scars, I'm Jesus. I rose from the dead and then disappear. No, he walked with them and then he sat with them and then what does it say? As he was walking, he explained the scriptures to them. All things concerning himself. He took them back to connect the dots, to 
to allow them to understand the way the Old Testament was now fulfilled in Him. And then, remember what happens after that? Those two disciples, they turn around and they go back to Jerusalem. And they go to the upper room and what happens? Jesus appears. And what does He do there? He just says, I'm here. And then, zip, He's gone. No! He teaches them. I believe those 40 days Jesus taught them all over the place. I believe he took them back to the scriptures time and time again. And that's why we see Peter responding the way that he, that he does here. Because they started to understand the significance of what? The authority of scripture. This is what we brought to the, the people group in Papua New Guinea who knew nothing about God. I didn't bring them my message. My talk brought them God's talk. And that's exactly what Peter is doing here. Setting everything off on sure footing. Not his own thoughts, not his own emotions, but what God's word says. So that would be the driving factor for everything from this point on. I wonder if Peter and the apostles, after hearing Jesus, teaching them throughout the, the 40 days, teaching them the Psalms, the prophets, the the writings of Moses. I wondered if he reasoned something like this. Hmm, Jesus said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was going to come. He said that we're supposed to proclaim the kingdom. I think we need to search the Old Testament Scriptures and we need to find those passages that refer to the Holy Spirit. We need to find those passages that refer to the Messiah so that we can then stand upon God's word and proclaim God's word has been fulfilled. And you know what happens in his very first sermon? It's exactly what he does. It's what we're going to see right off the start here. He goes to Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, which is probably the, the most important text about the coming of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> oh my, sorry. And all of... The Old Testament. Now, I know at times, as we'd come home on on home assignment from the mission field, and we'd be speaking at churches and and, and this and that, I'd have very loving people come up to me, and and they'd hear the stories about how the people in Papua New Guinea responded to God's Word, and and how the church was growing, and how they reached out to these neighboring villages, and, and how they became missionaries, and how they did this, and they did that, and they said, we want God to bless our church that way. Or we hear it in homes, man, we want God to bless our family. And yet at times, those very same people that they didn't uphold this. This was closed Sunday evening to Sunday morning when they brought their words to church and then they opened them. And those, some of those same churches were compromising on, on the preaching of the word and watering it down. Why? Because they bought into the philosophy that, hey, you need to add something to God's word in order for people this day to respond to it. Really? I, I think God's Word's powerful in and of itself. And we can stand on this. And this is what transforms and changes people. And so, yes, I want to see God bless each one of our families here. My family. Your family. And I want to see God bless RBC. But that's only going to happen if we study His Word, we listen to His Word, we stand on His Word, we respond to His Word, 
We proclaim His Word. We believe His Word. And as a result, God will bless this church. God will bless our families. So those two characteristics that we saw last week, we see another one added on to it now. We saw fellowship and we saw prayer last week. This week we see prayer. The scriptures added on to it. That that is the, the third cornerstone. Not only were they committed to, to fellowship to, to one another, not only were they committed to prayer, but they were committed to the scriptures. And, and I'd like to think of it like this. You, you could easily define prayer this is going to seem very simplistic and, well, I guess some, on some aspects I'm just a simple guy. That prayer is talking to God. And the other aspect of that is the study of the Word, which is God talking to us. And you can't have one without the other. You, you can't just spend all your time praying without spending any time in God's Word. You, you need to have both. Why? Because God's Word informs our thinking. God's Word informs our understanding so that we can pray. You ask for God's will. You want God's will for your family. Well, God's Word reveals His will. Right? So let's look at the, the next, the, the why. We're going to see the why in verses 17 to 20. Why does something need to be done? And it's because there's a vacancy. We see in verse 17, For he was counted, talking about Judas, Judas Iscariot, for he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Man, this is scary to me. You know why? Because I don't think there's anybody on the face of the earth that was more privileged than Judas. Do you? Just think about with me just a little bit of what he was privy to, what he was blessed with, who he got to listen to as a preacher. Jesus, God, never could say anything wrong, had an authority that no one else could ever have, backed it up with miracle after miracle after miracle, and on top of it was the most loving man ever to walk the face of the earth. And yet, what do we know about Judas? He was part of them, but he wasn't really part of them. Right? He's known as, as one of the apostles, so you could say that, that he, yes, he shared in this ministry, but he was never truly saved. Look, look at John chapter 12. And, and we'll get a, a bit of a glimpse as to what Judas is like and what I believe was keeping him from the kingdom. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. I think we're all real familiar with this portion of Scripture. But I'm going to highlight Judas more than I am Mary. 
Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? We'll stop there. We'll go on to verse 6 next. But, but if you just stop there and that's all that you would hear of him, doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that seem like a good statement? Even wise. Even kind. Hey, why wasn't this given to the poor? This seems too extravagant. This is too costly. This, this shouldn't happen. You, you, you know, we can say all the right things. We can come to church... And we can sit here for years and years and years and, and, and go through the motions. And yet our hearts are far from God. Everybody around you thinks that, every, that, that everything's okay. But the reality is your heart is far from God. Look at, look at verse 6. Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. What was the driving thing in Judas's life? It, it was greed. That's what he was driven by. In, in stark contrast to, to Mary, right? Mary was giving selflessly and sacrificially, not even thinking about it. Thinking about Christ. Worshipping Him. Judas, he was stealing secretly and selfishly and only thinking about one person himself. I believe his heart was far, far from God. And so we, we see in 18 and 19 where this greed takes him. So turn back to Acts 1, 18 to 19. And you'll notice that in your Bibles there that, that, that it's parentheses between 18 and 19. And that's because Luke takes a step away from, from what the Apostle Peter is preaching and, and teaching on. And he gives us just a little bit extra insight into Judas. And so this isn't part of of what actually Peter says, but a parenthetical extra thought that, that Luke gives us. And a very telling thought. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language the field... That field was called Halkadama. That is field of blood. Now, I'm not certain exactly why it's so vivid. <laughs> to be honest, I searched and searched and, and the, the only reasonable answer I, I could find was perhaps this vivid account was to reveal how perplexed and how confused the disciples were. Not only with the fact that that one of them, among them, had betrayed Jesus and walked away, but in the resulting death and and how he died and what a terrible death that that is. I'll I'll let you know that that these two verses are widely debated and guys come to this all the time to say, hey, look, see, this contradicts itself. 
Because if you turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, you're going to find there that it says that he hung himself. And this says that he fell on the ground and that's how he died. And well, can't you have both? Could it be possible that it's still talking about both instances and, and that Peter or Judas hung himself, the knot didn't hold, and he fell. And so, yes, he hung himself, and yes, he crashed onto the ground and had his intestines gush out everywhere. The scriptures weren't written by man. If you look back to the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David in, in verse 16, that's a beautiful definition for inspiration. The Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. That's what Scripture is. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through the mouth of a man. That means that all the mouth of the man is, is just he's just the one flapping and, and writing and that everything is done by the Holy Spirit. And that's why this word can be inerrant, without error. Even though people want to come and try to make it seem like it contradicts itself, it does not contradict itself. God has held it secure throughout all of church history. And then Peter takes them back to God's word in in, in verse 20. Look at it with me. For it is written in the book of Psalms, So that is what he was referring to earlier in 16. Let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. That's going back to Psalm 69.25 and and it's the idea that because of what happened and and his blood spilling that nobody wanted to occupy that land after this happened. And so that ended up being fulfilled in Scripture from way back in Psalm. But then not only that, but look at it, it gives them the plan that they need to initiate. Because it says right after that, let another man take his office. And that's found in, in Psalm 109.8. Standing upon the Scripture. But he's not finished yet because they have to actually appoint a man. And how are they going to do that? And that's why we're going to see next that the how. Well, I think we're going to see the how. Somewhere we're going to see the how. (laughs) They do it through prayer and the, the casting of lots. Let's look at 21 and 22. With the how is throughout 21 all the way to the end of 26. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that He was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of His resurrection. So before they actually get into appointing anyone, they want to say first, or or Peter does, he wants to say, look, this is the qualifications. Not just anybody can come in here and take His place. There's qualifications that need to be met in order for an apostle to take, for someone to take the the 12th position as apostle. And you notice what the two qualifications are. They're, They're pretty hard for any of us to meet this day in our present age. Why? Because the first one is they had to be an eyewitness of the entire ministry of Jesus Christ when He was on this earth. From what? From the time of John's baptism where John baptized Jesus up to His ascension. That 
takes all of us out, right? Because this could only happen if you were an eyewitness living during the time of Jesus. And then the second qualification is they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Not just his life and his ministry on this earth, but actually after he dies and raises again that you see him. This reveals to us that this role of apostle was only going to be fulfilled by these twelve. It isn't something that continues on. And, and you notice the reason why they appoint another apostle isn't because of Judas dying. The text says it's because he abandoned the ministry. Because he gave up his place, his position as one of the apostles, as one of Christ's chosen few. It wasn't an indefinite number that you could have as many apostles as so said that was their gift. No, there was only going to be 12. And I know where you're going. At least, if you're not there yet, you're going to go there (laughs) in your mind. Pastor Jason, what about the Apostle Paul? Is he not an apostle? Yes. Does he not fit that criteria? No. Right? Was the Apostle Paul there for all of Jesus' earthly ministry? Was he an eyewitness of his ascension? Or his resurrection? Okay, yes, Jesus appeared to him, and we're going to see that. But his apostleship is different. Why? Because he's an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, don't listen to me. Listen to Jesus. Luke chapter 22. Just in case you think I'm making this up. Luke chapter 22, verses 28 to 30. And we're going to see here that that these twelve apostles are, are like no other men that have lived. That they have a certain place in, in history and in the coming kingdom that nobody else is going to be able to come in and, and assume this. What Judas has given up is not just eternity. It's reigning as one of the twelve. It's crazy. Look at this. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom... I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why the number is limited. That's why when they choose these guys and they pick two to choose from, they don't say, oh, we'll just take you both. There can only be one. There can only be 12. And the Apostle Paul doesn't fit into that 12. This speaks of the apostles' unique role of sitting in the kingdom and judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Their number corresponds to the twelve tribes of Israel, for in a real sense, they represent the restored Israel, the people of God, that that in order for God's promises of the future blessing of the twelve tribes of Israel to be carried out, there needed to be likewise twelve apostles who represent the true Israel that will one day be fully restored. And we're going to see this throughout the book of Acts. Over and over again, these 12 eyewitnesses, they're characteristically designated as the apostles. And not only were they eyewitnesses that validated what they said, but think about they were ones that actually heard the teaching of Jesus. 
So the message that they preached was the message that Jesus had given them, that Jesus had modeled for them. I think that would have made them some pretty awesome preachers. Right? Okay, going, going back to, to, to Acts. Let's look at 23 and we'll wrap things up. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. So there was a great many of people there, 120, and out of those 120, was there only two that were qualified? Possibly. But in in, in either case, we, we really know hardly anything about either of these guys. We know that that Joseph's name means the son of the Sabbath, and that in church history, Eusebius writes about him, and he, and he says that he was a missionary who was forced to drink poison and died. That's all we know about him. And we know less about Matthias, who ends up being the chosen one. And it, and it says that his name means gift of God, and that's about all that we know. And some people have looked at this and said, oh, see, because he's never mentioned again, the Apostle Paul should have been the twelfth apostle. But we don't see anywhere in, in this scripture where, where God seems to be saying, this is wrong. I, I'm not in this. Actually, we see the complete opposite. And with what we've already looked at for the book of Acts, looking at it from a, a general perspective, who is really being highlighted in the book of Acts? The first 12 chapters, it's Peter, and then it's Paul. Lots of the apostles are barely mentioned, except for the big three. Peter, James, and John, right? So it's not uncommon that you're not going to see Matthias talked about again. Verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So what did they do? What was so unique about them? They prayed. They did what they started doing from the beginning and they continued doing that. And, and actually the Greek with the praying and then where they drew, where they drew lots that we're going to see in 26, they're, they're one in the, in the same, that it almost gives the idea that as they were praying, they were drawing lots. Why? Because they were depending so much upon the Lord. And notice the word there. All it says is Lord. And as you study this and look at it, different commentators are, oh no, this is God the Father. Oh no, this is Jesus. Which one is it? Well, a good rule for, for studying the word is you look back in the current context and you see if that word has been used recently. And if you turn back, well, if your Bible's like mine, you have to turn back a page. If your Bible's not like mine, then you just have to look at verse 21. And what does it say there? It has the same word Lord and this time it's attached to a person. Lord Jesus. I believe that's who they're praying to. Again, that's why I've, why I've I entitled this entire series Jesus at Work because He is the one at work. They had seen Him work over and over and over again and done so many miraculous things that of course that's who they're going to pray to. And notice what they say. You who, the Lord who knows the hearts of all. Hadn't Jesus demonstrated that for them? I believe that they knew Jesus personally, so that's who they're praying to. And Jesus is the one that is at work work throughout the book of Acts. 
The Holy Spirit is empowering, but Jesus is pointing everything and directing everything to establish His church, to allow His church to be born and to spread everywhere. Now, look at the last couple words of verse 25. Talking about Judas. Judas turned aside to go to his own place. That literally means to go to the place of his choosing, and it was a euphemism for going to hell. I know that some people would say, oh, Judas is a picture of repentance. He, he's so sorry and sad over what he did that he takes that money back. No, that's not a picture of repentance. That's a picture of remorse. Remorse is not the same as repentance. Repentance is recognizing what you do is wrong and turning and going the other way. Someone like that doesn't go and commit suicide. Someone like that goes to the other apostles and says, okay, I was wrong. Let's do what Jesus told us to do. He confesses his sin and turns and goes the other way. Judas doesn't do that. And I, I don't think I'd be true to the Scripture if I didn't ask you, how are you? Judas, are you walking down his path? Have you been coming to church year after year after year, but never ever trusted in Christ as your Savior? Do you recognize and understand the significance when Jesus says in John 46, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not one way among many, or a way among many, but one way, exclusiveness. There is no other way. Please consider that. You do not know where you are going to end up after you go out those doors. It's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. If you'd like to talk about the gospel, that's what, what this is, the good news that Jesus came and died for sinners, please come up and, and talk to us after the service. Let me close with this. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the last time that we see Lot casting in the Scripture. The only other time we see it in the New Testament is with Jesus and the soldiers casting lots for His clothes. How come we don't see it from this point on? Because the Holy Spirit is now indwelling believers and we don't need to cast lots. Right? RBC, we don't need to do that. We trust the Lord and we trust the Spirit indwelling us. Being informed by His Word. I put this in your notes because I think it's significant. It says this, the three key components of this gathering of believers to, for you to walk away with today, and I'll give you some things to chew on as well. Number one, this community of believers understands that God is working out His plans in spite of setbacks, in spite of something as significant and as crazy as what Judas did. Number two, Peter leads this community of believers by what? By pointing them to the Scriptures and relying upon God's Word and trusting in that. Number three, this community of believers seeks God's leading through prayer. So what can you take with you this week? Two things. First, thank God for His Word. If nothing else, hopefully that has, has been renewed in your mind, brought afresh. That How cool is it that way back in Psalms it pointed forward to Judas? Not only that, but over and over again, there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy pointing forward to Christ. 
Number two, ask the Lord to help you this week to better understand his sovereignty, the fact that he's in control of all things. Listen, if Peter had to grow in his understanding and he was taught by Christ and he saw Christ vividly in action, how much more so do you and I need to grow in our understanding that God is in control and we can trust him? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are in control. Thank you that we can trust you and we can rely on your spirit and we can stand on your word knowing that you have clearly communicated to us an unadulterated truth, Lord, that is inspired by you that has its its anchor and its depth of insight in you and your character. And that's why your word can be trusted and why your word is so different than any other word that we have around us, any other book written. We pray that you would teach us to love your word more, to love others more. And as we go out from here, Lord, that we would radiate your love to the world around us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.